Um, let's jump into Psalm 1. So um, uh, someone who has influenced my life, in a, in, in, there's a lot of people I could point to, but there's a few people I could point to that have influenced me a lot. But there's one person that I want to point out in particular, and this would have been during my high school years, and I was in high school band. That's right around the time I met Anita. We were at the same high school and our band director was Gus Moody, and some of you may know that name. He's a long-time Somerville resident. He's passed and gone to be with the Lord. But he was, at the time I got here for high school, he would have been a band director at, at Somerville High School for at least two decades already. He was a legend, um, and his bands won trophies and competitions left and right. They were a very, very good band. And, and I stepped into that as someone who... As a freshman in high school, I needed a lot of structure. I needed a lot of, of a place with accountability so that I would be able to, I guess, blossom, if you will. And I uh, learned that in, in, his, in his, his organization, his band, because it was a very good band, very structured, very disciplined. And, and these were things that we all as high school students did not come in with a lot. And yet he would mold us through the process of the daily disciplines of training us to be musicians in marching season, to march in such a way that we were able to be one band even though we were 160 pieces. It was, it was uh, quite the challenge. And so every summer, about a month before school started, we'd get together and we would start rehearsing and practicing together morning and afternoons. And then once school started, we would continue to do that. And then we would eventually start marching at football games. And then we would usually march in four competitions, including state, by the end of the year. We had an excellent band. The four years we were there, we finished in first or second in the state and won every other um, competition we marched in in those four years. So we were very successful in the eyes of marching bands. But what really impacted me was what it took for that to happen. Because to be excellent at the most pressure-filled moment means that you had to have been consistently doing that well for, for a long time, many times. And, and the reason that influenced me is that wasn't something I was good at, at anything. I wasn't consistent, I wasn't disciplined, and I didn't, I, I didn't have those. So as a result, I, was, I might be able to do something well one day, and the next day it was a train wreck. And, that. and so it, for me, it brought, um, at least I was exposed to it enough to recognize there's value in it, and I could see what happens when a group of people commit to doing something a certain way together. Okay, and, and so when I think of people who've influenced me, I think of that. Now, a couple of side notes, just for no extra charge for this. Um, Steve Sammons was in that band. Cindy Mitchell was in that band. Of course, Anita was in that band. Um, and I, did I miss anybody? That, oh, Brian Jocelyn was in that band. So um, he's had an impact on all of us. All of us would, would speak highly of him. His, his son-in-law started this church. Jimmy Reeves started this church. So there's, there's, Gus Moody has a lot of, there's a lot there that has influenced beyond me in the town of Somerville and in this area. So I, just, I say that because I want to ask this question. Who, is influ- who influences you most today? Who influences you most today? I want you to, throughout this message, I just kind of maybe have a, a piece of paper or, or something. Think about the people and, the, and the, those things that have influenced you. 
and maybe who, who bubbles to the top. I just wanted you to be able, because I'm going to come back to that question, because the answer to that question is, uh, is important when we think about what's the vision of what we're going for and how are we going to get there together. Okay? College football is in full swing as far as bowl seasons, and teams are, are going at it the teams that have finished with either a, a, well, a chance to play one more game, right? And every college football team's goal is to win the last game, whatever that game happens to be for them. They want to win the last game. Well, one thing those teams all have in common is they have a vision to w- they want to win the last game, and some of them it's more specific. I want to win it all, or I want to win, you know, 10 games, or whatever it is. But they, they also realize that to get there, we've got to be consistent at doing what it is we're trying to accomplish. And so they call them rep, repetitions or reps when they practice. They'll run a play and then they'll rep it again and again and again and again, even though it may not be pleasant, fun, or easy. But they together have come together because of this vision, because we want to be, be a successful football team. We are come together we're willing to go through the blood, sweat, and tears that it takes to get there pay the price in all the different ways that it's required to accomplish something of that. To have the vision and not have the discipline is just frustrating because you want it, but you don't know how to get there. But to have the system and have no vision is to be busy doing something that may lead to nowhere. So we need both. And now, every church should have the same mission. And the way I read the mission in the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself by making disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Surely I will be with you until the end of the age. That is the mission of the church. The vision of a church is simply their way of carrying that out, using their unique makeup of people and resources and dreams and and personalities. And and so we kind of say it like we want to become the best neighbors ever where we live, work, and play. If you are the best neighbor ever where you live, work, and play, you're going to be loving people out of an overflow of loving God, and it's going to include leading them to follow Jesus as you do. And you see how the mission and the vision are really the same, but they might look different in every church, okay? So um, how do we do that? What is that? How do we get from love God, love people to actually becoming a church that does the, the, the nitty-gritty, consistent grind of moving in that direction together? How do we do that? And the psalmist is going to tell us that. He's going to tell us, not in a lot of detail, but he's going to give us principles and reasons why we should want to do that. Now, I don't want to assume that everybody in here wants to do that. I don't even want to assume that everybody agrees on what that vision should be and what it should look like. But you need to ask yourself the question, where am I headed and how am I going to get there? And at the beginning of the new year, it's a good time to ask those questions. So with that, let's jump in and see what it, the psalmist says. Now, there's 150 psalms in the book of Psalms. Each psalm is part of psalms, okay, just so we get our plural and singulars right. Now, I don't know why the psalmist picked this first one to be first, and I don't know who the psalmist was. Many of these are anonymous. Some of them are David's, about half of them. Some of them are by other people like Moses and Solomon and some, some Asaph and Cor- sons of Korah and all kinds of people. This one we don't know why. But whoever organized the book of Psalms, 
thought this one deserved to be first. So it was purposeful, and it's probably important, and it probably, because it's up front, is probably a summary of the book of Psalms. But I don't know, because I haven't studied that much of it to be able to tell you with sure, surety. But I can tell you this, it is foundation to how it is to uh, follow the Lord Jesus. So with that, let me pray and we'll jump in. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that, that we all come away not only hearing it today, but hearing it with a posture to obey it as you guide and lead us to do so. That our answer to your question is already yes, Lord, even before you ask the question. But Lord, for that to happen, we need your spirit to work in our hearts and minds in such a way that we will gladly surrender to you. Not because I have anything to say about it. Not because somebody else is guilting us or twisting our arm, but simply because we want to. So I pray, Lord, not only that you show us the direction to go, but that you would give us the want to that you would help us answer the why questions so that we move to the how, and that we would discipline ourselves for godliness as a fruit of that effort. We love you and we praise you, and we ask you to help us even now to hear well in Jesus' name. And everybody said. All right, let's hear what he's got to say. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Whatever they do prospers. It starts off, blessed is the one, and then it gives us three, three groups of people or kinds of people that do not receive the blessing of God. Let's talk about blessing for a second. So we in our culture, in the American culture anyway, have taken the word bless and we've watered it down and we use it in a couple of ways, right? So in the South, if somebody does something that's kind of embarrassing, we go, oh, bless their little heart, right? What do we mean by that? Sometimes we don't even want to admit what we mean by that. But it's an expression that we use that takes the word and really just, it, it totally, it's like saying I love pizza and I love my wife mean the same thing. They don't, it's not even close, right? And if it is, you've got a problem and you need to see a counseling. But, but the same with bless, right? You know, bless this mess, Lord, or oh, bless you when you sneeze. And we use that word, and we don't really think about it in culture. We don't really think the word bless really carries any weight. But in the Bible, the word bless means profound, supernatural favor and blessing. And it's actually something that a father would proclaim over a son that he chose to proclaim it to, so that, and believing that, by doing so, it would profoundly impact his life and those in his descendants. And that's why it's a big deal when you read in the Genesis about uh, Abraham blessing Isaac and Isaac blessing, was it Jacob or Esau? Who was going to get the father's blessing? There's a whole drama around that and, and how Jacob tricked 
Esau so that he could get Esau's blessing because Jacob believed it, would, it mattered. And that was that culture, and that's the way God is using this here, as something weighty. So when you see bless, um, I want you to think and kind of connect it to that word, that positive phrase, whatever they do prospers. And we'll come back to that. But let's look at the three negatives. And these are kind of saying the same thing three different ways, but there is an intent, I guess, an increasing intensity in the person that's not going to be blessed. And so blessed is the one who does not do these three things, does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, a couple of thoughts. When you, if you're walking in step with somebody, that feels to me like um, you're, you're, you're having a conversation and you're keeping the same pace. You're together. You're hanging out. You're heading from one place to another together, having a conversation. There's a comfort level there. There's a friendship maybe even, okay? And, and this is answering some of that question, who's, who's influencing you most? This, these folks are influencing one another by being together. The same with the second one, stand in the way that sinners take. It's this mindset that we're doing things with a similar mindset. You might even say a similar life view or worldview. The third one is sit in the company of mocker. Now, now mocker is a much stronger word, okay? There, there's folks in our world that obviously believe that God is real and live as if they believe God is real, okay? And then you have folks that would say, yeah, there's a God, but they live as if there's no God. They would never say they're an atheist, but they make no decisions based on what God thinks. So they're practical atheists, even though they may call themselves religious. And then you have those who actively despise or mock or scoff at anything related to God, okay? That, that is, it's like, that's like a progression that the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, the wisdom literature all basically says, this is not just a mental wisdom thing. This is a moral statement. And mocker is like at the bottom. So when I spend time with someone who's mocking God, okay, if I'm not trying to lead them to God, but I'm just hanging with them, and that's part of the experience and the conversation, and I don't speak against that or at least resist that in some way that that person recognizes, then what is happening is that I'm basically partnering with them in that. And that's this kind of person. That's what this is describing here, okay? So I'll give you an example that I, I just kind of thought of. I thought, imagine somebody who, who, imagine a traveling businessman who's used to entertaining clients. He shows up, he, entertain, he takes his client out to, for dinner, and they'll have afterwards, after work, and they'll have drinks, and they basically entertain them, and he's paying the bill, and then they go their separate ways. And in the course of that, maybe there's a group of people, and they start, maybe this person starts mocking God, or maybe somebody else does. Now, the businessman, he just wants to earn this, this account, so he doesn't say anything because he doesn't want to be controversial. He doesn't necessarily agree, but he's not disagreeing. That feels to me like this third one, or sit in the company of mockers. Okay, so now I'm not saying that's exactly what it says. I'm just saying when I read it, that's kind of how I read it. My point is that we as Christians can find ourselves in any of those situations and not realize or maybe underappreciate how much we're being influenced by that person. What the psalmist is saying is the person who persists in that relationship, those relationships, is not blessed by God. That sounds a whole lot stronger than, um, I'm just being quiet and letting 
doing my job or whatever. You see what I'm saying? And I think we can justify that and get ourselves into a place we don't really want to be. So I'm just kind of pointing that out. But then he flips it. The psalmist says, but here's the positive. Blessed is the one, and I'll just skip to it. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Now, the law is another way. It's an Old Testament, a Hebrew way of saying the, the Old Testament, which is three-fourths of our Bible, so we can't ignore that and shouldn't ignore that, um, to, 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 to delight in something. What is that? It's, it's not just, oh, i got to read my Bible today because Darren said I'm supposed to read the Bible. Or mom and dad. Or whatever guilt trip is motivating you to open the Bible at that moment, okay? To, to delight in something is to look forward to it. It's to recognize that this is going to be in some way good for me to the extent that I am motivated and want to do that. So it's, it's not just the discipline of reading Scripture and praying. and It's recognizing that I get to talk to and listen to my Creator, and He's given me a lot to think about. And I get to do that every time I think I want to do that. And I have this tool that I can use, and I don't have to use this tool, but I get to do that. I get to talk to my creator. You see the difference? This person that God blesses is someone who values Scripture enough that through their actions they demonstrate to those who are observing, they really delight in the Lord. They believe that God is real. They actually believe the Bible is true. And, of course, our world's full of people that don't believe that. Just go to a college campus and you'll get it on your face, but it's everywhere. So, it continues, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Okay, so to be specific, it's not just any scripture. It's the scriptures of the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh himself, which is Jesus is Lord, New Testament, Yahweh is Lord, Old Testament. And then he says, and who meditates on the law day and night. Now, I don't know that it has to be literally... You know, in the morning before 12, you know, noon and after 12 noon. And the point is regularly, Jesus said it or did it, example, his example was early in the morning while it was still dark, he got up early, went off to a solitary place where he prayed, Mark 135. That was his pattern. Sometimes he was up all night. So, I, you know, Jesus didn't do the same thing all the time. He did, th- but he didn't do things without a reason. And he did have rhythms and habits that he practiced. And he did them because he delighted in being with his father to commune with God. And sometimes it was in the morning, and sometimes it was night. Probably for him it was morning, noon, and night. And that's the point here. Is the person who takes this so seriously, but doesn't take themselves too seriously, and sees that this is not just education, academic exercise. This is a life-giving experience. Wow. God says, I want to supernaturally pour out my favor on you. Okay, And he says it by saying, whatever they do prospers. Whether they're baking bread in South Africa, or whether they're turning a wrench in a garage in Hanahan, or whether they're teaching a classroom in North Charleston, or whether they're working a hospital down at MUSC, or whatever it is you're doing, sharing the gospel with a neighbor, you prosper in that. What does that mean? Does that mean I make money? See, we, we tend to, our culture tends to run to the financial blessing, and we don't even like to use the word prosper in church unless you're a prosperity preacher, and then you use it all the time, and we're not that. But we can't be afraid of words that are in Scripture either. So what does it mean? What, is it, what does it mean to prosper? So I would say it includes financial, but that's the least of the beautiful things that you prosper in. 
we use the phrase five capitals. It's not something I coined. It's from a book called Oikonomics, which is a mashup of economics and oikos, which is another conversation for another time. But in the book, they give you five capitals, which is basically there's five things in your life that you could build capital in that are valuable, and God is pouring blessing into your life through those five, you can call them categories, and I just want to run through them, and I want to show you how the culture sees them and then how God sees them. So the culture would see that you have financial capital, that's money, wealth. Next important would be intellectual capital, which would be like your ability to come up with creative ideas, concepts, knowledge, education, degrees. Physical capital, which is your health, your ability to uh, function because you're eating right and you're exercising and you're taking care of your body. Um, the fourth would be relational capital, which is family and friends. And then you have spiritual c- capital, which is power and wisdom. And that's not physical power, that's supernatural power. And that would be the five capitals. And that's the way the world tends to order them from most important to least important based on the way our culture functions. I think that's probably pretty fair. We would start with the financial, and then we would think education, and then we'd think take care of your body. Oh, yeah, there's friends and family and spiritual. Yeah, what if I've got time? But God's word flips it the other way and actually has it in the other order. So when we talk about God blesses and prospers you, he is doing that, but, and financial's there. It's real. I, Anita and I could tell you stories when we were on 50% income and going through seminary together, and I think we had two going on, three kids at the time, how God would provide for us financially over and over, and we prayed for it. We needed it. We are putting ourselves through seminary. But, but that wasn't the main one we were pursuing, and it wasn't the best way God blessed us. And it's true for all of us. But God is saying, what's the key? Who's influencing you most? Who's influencing you most? So he says, uh, let's keep going. So that person is like a tree. So he gives us a picture here. The psalmist illustrates this in verse 3. That person, that person what? The person that is, that is meditating and delighting in God's word regularly is like a tree planted by streams of water. And then it says the tree yields its fruit in season because there's, out, there's seasons that trees bear fruit and there's seasons when they don't, and that's fine and whose leaf does not wither. And it's pretty rare to find a tree with withered leaves, but if you do, you know you're in a drought or you're heading there. Whatever they do prosper. So this is the picture, and, and I don't know if this is true. I didn't dig deep enough to know the answer to this, so no, no, this is just my thought. It says that person's like a tree planted by streams of water. It's almost like it was planted there on purpose whether it was planted there by a person or God, it doesn't matter. To me, it feels intentional. It was almost strategic. It's saying a wise person is going to plant a tree that needs water near a water source so that even during a drought, there's a source of water that it can tap. And as a result, the leaves won't wither. They might wilt, but they're not going to wither up and blow away because the tree's not going to die. Okay? Now, I know you and I go through dry seasons in life. We go through dry seasons in our faith. But if our roots are planted in such a place where the living water of God is available to the roots that uh, we have, God has grown deep into his word, then when those dry seasons come, we can come through them better for it. Okay? We can still bear fruit that will last. Okay? So, so don't, don't miss that. 
Um, and then he says this, it, it yields fruit in season. I, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to run to John 15, 16, which says, I chose, you didn't choose me, Jesus speaking to his disciples on the night he's betrayed. He says, um, you know, you didn't choose me, by the way. You didn't choose to follow me. I chose you and appointed you to go and do what? Bear fruit that will last. That's what he wants to do. That's the imagery of what God wants to do in and through us, which is another way of prosper. It's prosper. He wants you and me to prosper, but he wants you and I to do it in such a way that we become a conduit of God's grace, not a reservoir where God just fills up us up and we just get spiritually constipated because we don't give it away. Right? It sounds kind of, you know, I think God kind of thinks about it that way. When we take but don't, re- don't pass on, then I think it kind of makes his stomach hurt. It should make ours hurt. He gives us two reasons to do this, okay? And, and this is really what it comes down to. So the bottom line is this answer to the question, right? Who's influencing you most? God wants to be the one who influences you most so that he can prosper you in the, in the life that he's called you to live. God wants to be the greatest influence in your life. He does it, he chooses to do it through the word of God plus the spirit of God. And if I had time, I'd go to Colossians 2, 1 through 5 and say, alongside the people of God so that we might become more like the son of God. The word of God plus the spirit of God with the people of God so that we'll become more like the son of God. Okay, and that's Jesus. And that's who he wants us to be, all right? But you can't do that in isolation, you cannot do that in isolation. And I know in this season in our country that it's really easy to get isolated for legitimate reasons. And I would just say, do whatever you can to resist the temptation to isolate yourself. And this is especially tempting when you're hurting physically, emotionally, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, all the legitimate and non-legitimate reasons that are out there are going to tempt you to do that one thing. If you're part of a church or a body, Christ, it's going to, your tendency is to, to back off. Whenever life gets hard, our tendency is to do that. Resist that temptation because it is a temptation, but we should not give in to it because that's part of, I think, the recipe for becoming more like Jesus is the word of God plus the spirit of God alongside the people of God. Now go back, think about the uh, football team analogy, right? The team, if the quarterback tried to play the game by himself without the others, he'd, he'd get creamed. There'd be no, he couldn't do anything. And so they prepare and train together. And they run plays for the offense, special teams, defense. And they might cross-train people and they might interchange. But the point is, all of it happens as a team. And then there's the greater team that says, well, you know, some of the team is focusing on this, some of the team's focusing on this, but we're still all one team and we're doing this together. And sometimes a teammate's job of the day isn't to, to catch the ball, it's to go encourage that, that injured lineman that can't play for the next four weeks because of his injury. And it's to go encourage him every day to not stay in his dorm or stay in his room, but to, to be a part of encouraging others along the way, even though he's one that needs encouragement, because God will encourage him even as he encourages others. That's part of how he blesses us, but you can't do that if you're not part of a community, okay? And being a part of a community isn't just showing up in one. Being a part of a community is investing in the lives of the people that are part of that community, 
It's not just sitting in a big room full of people because you can be in this room right now and feel very lonely. And that's not his, that's not his best. It may be a step in the right direction, but that's not what he wants. He wants for you more than that, to do life with other people. And so he, the first reason he gives us to do this, to let God be the number one influence, really, he says, is so that he can bless us supernaturally. And the second reason is because eternity is a long time and it impacts our eternity and how we spend it. Look at how he ends this out. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, we're not an agrarian culture, so we don't know what stuff like chaff is, so we have to explain it. When you grow wheat or barley, you get a stalk. It's basically tall grass. You know, when you're driving down the road and there's these bales and, you, and your, your dad looks out the window and goes, hey, and everybody looks and he's like, gotcha. That stalk has seed head on top, and they would harvest it, and they, um, but then you want to get to the seed, but you want to get rid of all the dead leaves around it, and the leaves are lighter than the seed, so what they would do is they would put them in a winnowing pit, and they would kind of stir it up in, on a wind, when the wind's blowing, and as they stir it up, the lighter stuff would float longer, and the wind would blow it out of the winnowing pit, and what you're left with is the good stuff. The stuff that you make bread from, yes. More bakering, baking, all right, that's good. So um, he's saying this wicked is like chaff. What is the chaff good for? Nothing. Furnace? It's not even really good for heating up the furnace. And he's, he's reminding us that eternity is a long time and we all spend it somewhere. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, I just, it's so refreshing how straightforward the Bible is. It, there's no, right? If you're trying to create a myth and you want people to follow it, you would not say stuff like this. If you were trying to tell the truth, you would. Verse 6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That's encouraging to me. It reminds me of Psalm 121 where it says the Lord never sleeps or slumbers. I want whoever's looking out for me to always be on guard and awake and alert you know, not falling asleep at their post. The Lord is faithful. He watches over the way of the righteous. And, and we're not righteous because we're righteous in our actions, by the way. We know from the New Testament that we get righteous imputed on us through the work of Christ. The only reason that I can stand before the Lord and not be um, judged the full wrath of God is because Christ's righteousness stands between me and the one who is judging me. And when God sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ in front of me. And so by that, I'm standing behind him. I'm like, when God says, why should I let you in? I go, right, this guy right here, he's, yes, he took care of me there so that I don't have to. And so I stand, so I am, so the Bible calls me part of the righteous, not because I'm consistently good, despite the fact that I'm consistently not his mercy and grace makes it possible for me to be declared right with God, which is what justification means, declared right with God. And as a result, the Lord watches over me. And I can read this and with confidence know the Lord is watching over me. That's awesome. It's encouraging because there are times when I just don't, I don't know what else to do if I don't have that truth. And then he gives us the flip side. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Again, clarity. It is not the ending anybody wants. So why do I share this with you? Because I want you to answer the question, who influences you most today? Because I want, you to, I want you to realize that God wants to be the one who influences you most so that he can prosper you, so that he can prosper others through you. 
blessed to be a blessing, okay? Is that how you're living? How do you, maybe you say, I want that, but I don't know how to get there. And he tells us, meditate on his law day and night. That's at least twice a day, okay? That's pretty simple, okay? Even a seventh grade boy can understand that twice a day. Doesn't mean he's going to do it consistently. But I'm not going to let my struggles at being consistent stop me from trying. And I hope you won't either. So here's a simple way to kind of, okay, so how do I get, how do I make progress? Okay, well, first of all, if you don't have one of these, you just pick up one of these uh, wherever you find one in the building and, and take it home so you have one. Okay, there's a stack over by the door. There's some scattered throughout. You can ask for one. Just let me know if you don't find one. And then you start opening it and reading it. Okay, if you're not sure where to start, I recommend you start with the book of John. Okay, I'm okay with anywhere, but book of John's pretty rich. Good place to start, okay? Um, and I encourage you to do one other thing as you read it is, is that you would read it with the intention of doing it. Okay? And you're not going to understand it all, and therefore, obviously, there's going to be things you're going to be like, I'm not sure about that. Then don't do that today. Okay? You know, but I understand I need to, okay, love my neighbor. I, I understand that. Then go do that. And just begin with the posture of to hear is to obey. It, those two are inseparable in the Hebrew mind, and it should be inseparable in our mind. To hear is to obey. To hear the word of the Lord is to obey the word of the Lord. Okay? So here's some practical steps, and we'll, we'll close. So first... Um, Get a plan. Get a plan, get a place, get a person. The plan, and your plan could be as simple as I'm going to read a page a day. I'm going to read a chapter a day. I'm going to read a verse a day. Get a plan, stick to the plan. Okay, if you want to make it day and night, if you want to make it longer in the morning or in the night, whatever, pick a plan that you're going to actually do. Start. Pick a place, a place where you can read it and not be sidetracked. So for most of us, that means probably should not have access to the internet. If you're using your phone Bible and you can use it by turning off, going whatever, do not disturb or whatever yours does to prevent you from getting notifications, then do that. But do, do it in a way, in a place where you can just give God your undivided attention for the minutes you're going to give him. And then a, a person. Once a week, and I don't think if, I think if you don't do it at least that often, I don't think this is, you're going to have a hard time sticking with it. Once a week, talk to someone else who's doing the same thing and ask two questions of each other. What are you learning this week from what you're reading? What are you learning and what are you doing about it? What are you learning and what are you doing about it? Rinse and repeat. If you want to do it over breakfast, whatever. If you want to do it over FaceTime, that's great. It doesn't matter. The details, don't let those get hung up. Keep it simple. Get a plan. If you're looking for a Bible reading plan, they're all over the internet. You can search. There's tons of Bible apps. YouVersion is one that is very popular and common, easy to use, but there's lots of them. Just Google Bible reading plans. Pick one that you like. If you don't like it, change to another one, okay? Find a place to do it and find a person to hold you accountable like a teammate would hold another teammate accountable so that the team wins. Imagine a church that was so committed to the vision that they were all willing to do the grind, the spiritual grind that it takes to habitually be meditating on the law of the Lord day and night in the power of the Holy Spirit, along with the people of God, with the desire to be like Jesus and do like Jesus. Isn't that our bullseye? 
Christ's likeness, fruitfulness in Christ. Let's pray that we do that. Let's pray now. Lord God, as we, um, as we move forward into whatever's next, I, my prayer is that we would not let go of this. Not today, not this week, not this year. It would be a year where we listen. That we listen to you speak, believing that you speak through your word, but you speak in other ways too. But our word, the word of God is our filter, it's our standard, it's our north star that keeps us on track when we hear things and we're not sure who's speaking. Lord, help us to internalize it so fully that uh, we can't help but live it, that we get to live it, that submission to God is something we gladly do, no matter the cost, and that we enjoy the ride, that we do it with a smile on our face and a skip in our step, not because everything's hunky-dory, but because you're faithful, and in that we rest and find our joy. So help us with that starting today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.